Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning, everyone. It is just such a joy to be together today. I know that I say that most Sundays, whether I lead service or lead worship, um, but really, it is such a blessing for us to be able to gather together as God's people, uh, to be able to sing those songs, to be able to lift our voices to the Lord in praise, to be able to worship Him through giving, uh, spend time in prayer. And now it's really a privilege for us to come together to open God's Word. God's Word truly is living and active. So even this week, as I was preparing to open God's Word with you all, I was so humbled and encouraged by the way that God speaks to us through His Word. So I chose this passage uh, with a specific purpose. I wanted to fit in with the theme of suffering that we talked, started talking about last week. But even as I chose this passage and I spent time studying and spent time in the Word this week, there were things I had never seen in this passage before, things that I hadn't even considered emphasizing that became clear when I looked at the text thoroughly. I hope that you experience this as well, as you spend time in God's Word, as you make a habit of reading God's Word throughout the week, I hope you recognize the same thing and see how precious it is that God speaks to us through His Word. Um, so my prayer today is that the Lord would use His Word today to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. Um, we are going to continue discussing the topic of suffering and consider today how we can suffer righteously by exalting Christ in our hearts. Pastor Allen led us last week uh, and really marveling at the glory that is attached to righteous suffering. And if you remember, he walked us through from the beginning of Genesis and the origin of suffering, uh, discussed the themes of suffering in 1 Peter, and then led us to an overview of suffering in the servant songs and in Isaiah 53 and the example of Christ and his suffering. And it's such a precious reminder. I know that's something I've been thinking about even this week, that the Lord is glorified in our suffering with each godly response. And that is our cry, that we would ask God to help us to respond in a godly way in the moment to the suffering that we're facing. So now we want to continue along with this theme and consider today how we can suffer righteously by exalting Christ in our hearts. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open to 1 Peter chapter 3. And today we're going to be looking at this passage, specifically from verse 13 down to verse 17. And I want to ask you today, each one of you, as a member of Living Hope Church or visitor, are you suffering for the right reasons? Are you suffering with the right focus? And are you suffering with the right response? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so as we come to our time in the Word together, let's pray once more and ask that God would be at work in our midst, recognizing the only way that we can truly understand and apply His Word to our hearts is through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to come to Your Word humbly, recognizing the privilege that we have to hear from You through Your Word. God, thank you for the ways that you've revealed yourself so clearly to us, spoken to us so clearly, given us all that we need for life and godliness. And God, I pray that we as a church family would be shaped by your word, that our services each Sunday would be shaped 
by your word. That our gospel community groups would be shaped by your word. That we would not be offering our own ideas or our own wisdom to each other, but we would speak in a way that is filled with scripture, in a way that is filled with truth that comes from you. I pray that our families would be shaped by the word of God. Our friendships would be shaped by the word of God. Even the conversations that we have today after the service, I pray that they would be shaped by truth. I pray now as we come to your word that you would help us to receive it. God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be working in our hearts to open our eyes to see the beautiful truths that are contained in it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's not much that's more remarkable than seeing someone suffer through a tremendous trial and give glory to God in the face of suffering. Uh, Just this week, I was thinking about um, the trial that Pastor Josh and his wife Marta went through with her cancer. And I went back and looked at some of the videos that they recorded. I'm sure many of you guys have seen this and heard their testimony. And I know many of you all were known or impacted deeply by their example as they walked through this with you as a church family. To see their faith through this struggle with cancer, it showed how precious Christ is. And this was such an amazing opportunity for us to see the power of their faith, even in their weakness. This trial encouraged all of us as believers, it strengthened our faith, and it was an amazing witness to a watching world of the power of God, not only to save, but to sustain the faith of his children through trial. So to see Marta as a wife and as a mother who was facing cancer and the uncertainty that comes with this, not knowing whether the Lord would deliver her from it or not, to see her walk through it with such joy and trust in the Lord. Even in this trial, they were always looking to encourage others when we would think they would be the ones that would need encouragement. They were caring for others who were going through trials that may have seemed much less significant, and through it all, they were depending on him. Another person uh, that you all may know, my sister Erica, her mother-in-law, Chris, is right now going through a very dark and heavy trial. Um, She's been diagnosed with a terminal disease called ALS that is slowly taking away her ability to walk, to speak, to eat, or to even talk. There's no treatment or cure, and she likely only has months to live. This is a painful thing to see. She's a very godly lady, a pastor's wife who loves the Lord so much. She loves to teach God's word to other women. And now she even struggles to put words together in sentences. She can't stand or walk easily on her own. But to hear her speak of her overwhelming love for Christ, despite the trial that he has brought her, her trust in God's sovereignty even in these dark days, and her faith in him through it all, it's incredible. This can only happen because of the hope that she has in Christ. One of the first uh, times that she shared publicly about her disease, she sent a video out and she boldly shared of her trust in Christ. And even as she shared information about this disease that was afflicting her, that she was suffering with, she talked about this disease as the blessed chariot that God had sent to bring her home to be with him. She knew what she was facing, but her hope was not in this life, but it was in Christ and that she would be with him in glory. This type of hope is amazing. And for those of us who are not going through a trial at this level right now, it can be almost impossible to see how can God give me that type of strength. But this same gospel-centered hope, this joy-filled hope, is ours in Christ. And that's the reality is, is we might face trials like this. We may encounter intense persecution. We may go through uh, terrible diseases. Our loved ones, our brothers and sisters might go through th- things like this. 
So today I want us to look at God's word and consider how we can be prepared to suffer righteously by exalting Christ in our hearts, even in the most difficult of circumstances. So let's look together here at 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's read from verse 13 down to verse 17. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So Peter starts here by asking the question there in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And here he's making the point that for those of us who are believers, if we are zealous for good, if we're passionate about pursuing good works, people will not normally seek to harm us because of this. That those who are zealous for good will not always face persecution because of their actions. So this doesn't mean that as believers that we're freed from suffering if we're pursuing good works, that we don't experience the effects of sin and the fall and the curse. But because of God's common grace in the world and in people's lives, those who strive to do good works, who are zealous for what is good, they don't ordinarily face persecution because of this. In Proverbs 16, 7, it talks about the same theme and the same idea. It says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So if you're walking uprightly, if you're zealous for what is good, seeking to please the Lord in all that you do, even those who would hate or persecute you may be at peace with you. So I want to ask you that today. Consider that. Are you zealous for what is good? Not just do you enjoy what is good. This isn't a casual feeling. But do you have a strong, intentional desire to do what you know is good? This idea of being zealous for what is good should characterize how we are to live as believers in a dark and sinful world. So are you zealous for what is good? Does this describe your attitude, your heart, your desires? Is your day-to-day life filled with this type of pursuit? Are you looking, how can I do good in all things? Micah 6 verse 8 states it clearly and simply. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So do these type of things characterize your life? Doing justice, being kind, and walking with humility. Even unbelievers will recognize this. Even your enemies will appreciate this if you are zealous for doing what is good, and you won't often face persecution because of that. It's the opposite, in fact. If your life is characterized by a zeal for good, you will be a liar. This is our calling. In Titus 2.14, says he, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So if in your workplace, in your job, you are a diligent and faithful and joyful employee who is zealous for what is good, you're always seeking to walk with humility and kindness, you should not be persecuted for these things, but you'll be valued. And I'm sure many of you all have seen this, that even what we would consider as basic Christian virtues will set you apart in your job or in your home or in your community. Just being reliable, caring for others, being considerate of others' needs above your own, working hard as unto the Lord, not for the pleasure of man. 
These things will not ordinarily result in persecution or suffering, and you'll often be valued because of it. So we need to consider, first of all, are we suffering for the right reasons? So Peter's talking about this here in verse 13 and then also in verse 17. So the section that we're looking at today is really bookended by these ideas. So in verse 13 it says, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? As believers, we won't ordinarily face persecution because of good works. But knowing that suffering may come, look there in verse 17. It says, It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That's one thing I want us to consider, is that we can't, as believers, we can't look at all the difficulties in our lives and assume that they are all a result of either the fallen world, the effects of the curse, or persecution. There may be times where the suffering or persecution that we are facing is because of our own sin. This is something that each of us has to honestly consider. We cannot excuse sin in our own life just because we face suffering as a consequence, or because we feel like we're being persecuted because of it. Suffering because of our sin is an opportunity for repentance, not for contentment. So if you are suffering for unrighteousness right now, if you're being unethical at your work, if you've been caught cheating on an exam or caught in a lie by one of your friends and you have suffered for it, then your conscience should not be clear. This is not suffering that pleases God. Where suffering righteously has glory attached to it, like we talked about last week, suffering unrighteously brings dishonor to God. And it hinders our witness. It diminishes Christ in the eyes of others if we claim Christ that are suffering because of our sin without repentance. And then another thing I want to mention about suffering for the wrong reasons is this. So on one hand, there's the real temptation to suffer unrighteously, to face persecution because of our sin without recognizing it's our fault, and for that to build pride in us. But on the other hand, some of us might have sensitive consciences. This can be a real temptation, one that I know I've felt at times. And there's a temptation to look at every area of suffering in our lives as a consequence for sin. So even right now, you might be walking through a difficult and painful trial. But instead of trusting God's goodness towards you, His sovereignty to bring you through this trial, you're always looking for a reason. There must be something that I've done. There's some reason why I deserve this. What sin can I confess? But living in this sinful world, affected by the fall, surrounded by sinful people who may persecute us, we know this is not true. It's simply not true that all suffering is a result of sin. There's suffering that is a punishment for sin, but there's also suffering that comes just from walking faithfully in the world when we face opposition, persecution, and trials. So we need to consider whether we're suffering for the right reasons. And then as we continue on, this is something that we'll see. Suffering for doing what is right is such an extraordinary thing that God can use it in a mighty and powerful way. One of the greatest opportunities, I think, that we have to display Christ to the world is if we suffer well by depending on Him. But if we as believers are suffering because of unrighteousness or because of open sin in our lives, it's not being dealt with. This brings shame to the name of Christ. As unbelievers see us living in a way that doesn't align with the faith that we proclaim. So if you have your Bible, if you're in 1 Peter, just flip back um, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. So the other verse here. Let's see. Yeah, verse 12. Okay. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
So if all the slander and the lies that the world throws at us when they speak poorly about us proves untrue, because we are walking uprightly, if we are zealous for good, and says here that they will be put to shame, God will be glorified through that. As ambassadors for Christ, our lives matter. People are watching. Our actions matter. They're listening to what we say. And our goal should be to suffer in such a way that they see our good deeds and they will glorify God on the day when he returns. That even through our actions, men might be saved through our witness. And even though this is true, that if we're living lives that are filled with good works, it will not normally face persecution for them. Does this mean that we won't suffer as faithful believers? No. And we saw this very clearly last week. Pastor Allen shared with us that suffering is a reality in the world that we live in. And you all know this. From the effects of the fall to the hostile mindset of the world, we know that suffering and persecution will come. So now if you go back to chapter 3, we see this in our passage today. Let's read again from verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Or be troubled. And you all know this to be true. The world and our culture are becoming more and more hostile to Christianity. And this was obvious to the audience of 1 Peter. The believers in the early church were often persecuted at an extreme level. They were ostracized from society. They were viewed as heretics. They were persecuted. They were threatened with imprisonment or even death because of their faith. They understood that living righteous lives would often still result in persecution. And we know that the same is becoming increasingly true to us as believers, even here in South Africa, 2,000 years later. Although we live in a Christian nation, this is really becoming a superficial label. It has little relevance when you consider the values that people live by. Is it really true that you can face persecution, opposition for doing good works? That you'll be hated for being passionate for what is true? And the problem is that our standard of good, which comes from God's word and the way he's revealed himself to us, and the world's standard of good are not aligned. So as our culture continues to drift into sin and immorality and selfishness, the upright and godly lives that we're seeking to live will come into direct conflict with the world around us. So being zealous for good works will bring us into conflict with the sinful lifestyles that the world around us is pursuing. So just think of a few examples of this. So if you, today, if you have a gov- work in a government position where corruption has become ordinary, just part of the job, your coworkers take payments on the side to facilitate their work or move things along, and you speak out against this, or you refuse to cooperate, you're going to suffer because of this. If you refuse to take part in favoritism at work, or you don't take part in unethical practices that you know are wrong, you will face persecution. And this is because you are zealous for what is good. You're trying to be faithful to what God has called us to. If you speak out against sexual immorality, people living together before they're married or openly living in promiscuous ways, if you call sin what God calls sin, you plead with people to repent out of genuine care and love for them. You're being zealous for what is good, but you'll be hated because of this. So you know that the world clings close to their sin. Or if you speak out against homosexuality in our culture today, you'll be rejected by the world. The freedom for people to choose their sin over what they know to be right in this way has become elevated in society over God's design for marriage. Or if you believe that a child in the womb is fearfully and wonderfully made, and you understand and believe that abortion is murder, the taking of a life for the sake of convenience or pursuing a sinful lifestyle is wrong, this won't bring you praise from the world because you're standing for what is good, because you have a zeal for what is good. It will bring you persecution. 
And I know many of you have had these types of conversations with people that you love, people maybe in your own family. And if you're firm in godly conviction, if you're zealous for good works, you will face increasing opposition from those who love their sin. So doing good, being zealous for good works, is not a guarantee against suffering. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Nobody has ever lived a life that was filled with so much good, so much perfection. From his time as a child in perfect obedience to his earthly parents and through to his death, he walked uprightly in holiness, perfect holiness, with a zeal for good works that never ended. And throughout his life, initially he was loved by many, he was followed by the crowds, they sought him out for healing and for wisdom. But ultimately, he faced incredible persecution, the ultimate suffering and death on the cross at the hands of some of the same people who praised him when he entered the city on Palm Sunday. But he never wavered in doing good. Even to the point of his death on the cross, he offered nothing but good to everyone around him, including those who were persecuting him. He cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even while on the cross, he was considering the needs of his mother and of Mary Magdalene. He, while on the cross, he promised the thief, the sinner who was suffering next to him, surely today you will be with me in paradise. His whole life was filled with good works, but he still faced opposition and persecution. So we should not be surprised when we face some of the same. Let's look down at First Peter. Uh, let's flip over to chapter 4 and read from verse 12 down to verse 16. says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So are you surprised or are you offended when you suffer? If we're faithfully following the example of Christ, we will face opposition in this life. We should not be surprised by suffering. We should not doubt God's goodness because of it. If we are zealous for good works, we will face persecution from the world. And here, in this passage we just read, as well as in our passage today, in chapter 3, we see that if we suffer for Christ, if we are suffering for the right reasons, we will be blessed. We should refuse to suffer because of sin, but we should repent and suffer as faithful servants of Christ. There is glory attached to righteous suffering. You will be blessed. And this is where we come to our second point. So first, we reflect on this. Are we suffering for the right reasons? When we see our suffering, we need to evaluate Am I suffering because of faithfulness towards God, because of a zeal that I have for good works? Or am I suffering because of my own sin and my own pride? Now, after considering that, we're going to consider, are we suffering with the right focus? So let's back, look back at our passage here in verse 14. It says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And this can be difficult for us to understand at times. How can we really go through suffering without any fear of people who are persecuting us, without our hearts being troubled? And from a worldly perspective, from a human mindset, it doesn't make sense. You might think of this as a scale. In our human understanding, when we're considering, okay, is this suffering worth it? You might think that on one side you're stacking up all the suffering that you'll face as a faithful believer. 
Pastor Alan let us to think about this last week. That suffering comes not only from opposition and persecution that we might face, but from the very beginning of time, from the curse, and as a consequence of sin. The ground that we walk on is cursed. Suffering from sickness and from death, from cancer, ALS, and pain, we shall eat of it all the days of our life. And sometimes it can seem that we're trying to balance the scales, decide if it's really worth it. So on one hand, we have all this suffering that we're considering. And on the other side, you're stacking up all the hope that we have in this life. The things we think we can cling to. Our own strength, our hope that suffering will produce resilience in us, that it will produce character, or that we'll receive worldly recognition for like bearing, our, bearing through it, bearing through this trial. Does it balance out? And we know that it doesn't. This is real. There's trials that can seem too much to bear. There's sickness that affects those that we love. There's pain that can seem to last forever. But in Christ, we have received the hope of glory. And this tips the scales completely. The future glory that we'll receive can bring us joy and suffering now. Because we know that the wrongs that are being done to us, the suffering that we're facing, the persecution we're facing, will be made right when we're with the Lord. We're longing for a day when there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, and we will be with Him in glory. I was reading uh, this week some reports and testimonies from pastors and Christians in Afghanistan. So a lot of you may know the situation there. We've been praying for believers in Afghanistan. Where just weeks ago, the Taliban took control of the country once again. And believers are facing the threat of persecution even today. Where women are oppressed, they're unable to leave their homes, they can't go to work, they can't study. Christians are being identified. There are lists being passed around of people who have cooperated with believers, who have helped church families. And they're facing the threat of very real threat of persecution and even death because of their faith. So in a situation like this, there's very little hope. How could someone have this type of joy? One pastor, he wrote that he was speaking with a believer in Afghanistan. And he said, I struggled even to know how to pray for him. But praise God, when I talked to him, he encouraged me. He said, don't worry, Jesus is with us now. What incredible faith. Another pastor in Afghanistan described the days as dark and said they feel like a storm. But when asked how we could pray, he asked that we pray for revival. What faith is this? This is a man whose life is in danger, who faces the threat of even death, asking other believers who enjoy so many privileges and freedom to pray, not for physical protection, but that God would open the eyes of the blind and give life to dead hearts. He's asking not that we pray for physical protection, that we pray for revival. That the suffering and persecution that believers in Afghanistan are facing would result in gospel fruit. Another believer said, I love Jesus and I trust him. Even if it comes to the end, I will praise his name. So this brother, he's not seeking worldly relief from persecution. To have this kind of hope, he is looking to Christ and to the glory that will be his when he is with him for eternity. Another believer said, I cannot stop my tears, but the good thing is, is because of Christ that we are suffering. This type of hope can only come when we see the ultimate glory that is going to be revealed to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The eternal glory that is ours in Him. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. These believers in Afghanistan understand that their hope is not in this life. They're not balancing the hope that they have in this life with the weight of the suffering that they're facing. Their hope is in Christ and the promise of glory. 
And with that perspective, it's all worth it. That's how they can pray for revival. That's how they can trust in the face of incredible persecution. So fear of persecution should not prevent or discourage us from doing good. But we have to counsel our own hearts to remind ourselves that this suffering comes with glory. We see that here in the next verse. In verse 15, we see the reason for this hope. This must be our focus through suffering. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. We're called not to fear or be troubled, but to honor Christ the Lord as holy. What's the meaning of this? We're called to honor Christ as holy by recognizing who he truly is, by fearing him and honoring him above all else, sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts, setting him in his rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords. If Christ is our hope, whether in our life or in death, then the approval or disapproval of the world loses its power. The persecution and suffering that may come from suffering for righteousness' sake, it pales in comparison to the glory that we receive because of honoring God, knowing of His approval. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13, the prophet says, But the Lord of hosts, Him you shall honor as holy. Let Him be your fear, and let Him be your dread. This honoring of Christ as holy, setting apart, is something that has to happen in each one of our hearts. We have to realize that Christ must be elevated above all else, above the approval of others, above our own desires, above our fame or the recognition that we're seeking, above wealth or above comfort. And the result of this, of having Christ in the right place in our hearts, the result is the strength to suffer well, to have supernatural joy in the face of opposition. This is how we can both not be afraid of our persecutors, and also, it's how we'll see in the coming verse, this is how we'll be prepared to give a defense. Our hope comes from honoring Christ as holy. He is our hope. He is our reward. And the future glory that is ours in him. Alan shared with us these precious truths that future glory can bring us joy and suffering now. And this is a glory that we cannot lose. Jesus received the glory that he deserved and he is the one we should honor as Lord. His glory is our glory. Our hope is in him. Our joy is in him. Forgiveness comes through him. So first, we considered, are you suffering for the right reasons? Are you suffering because of a righteous life? Or are you suffering as punishment for your sin? Are you suffering for the right focus? Are you looking for earthly motivations to endure suffering? Or are you looking to Christ? Are you seeking to honor Him as Lord of your heart? And then finally, I want us to consider, in your suffering, are you suffering with the right response? So let's look there again. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we're called as believers, all of us. We are called to always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. And you might be thinking, okay, prepared to give a defense. So we need to understand God's word. Maybe we need to memorize some Bible verses. Maybe we need to study apologetics. We need to be ready to explain things thoroughly and clearly, to give a defense. But actually, if you look at this passage, this isn't what Peter is calling us to do, to be prepared. John Piper pointed this out, and I thought it was so interesting and just really unexpected. Look, So look there. It says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks. So there's no verb in between honor Christ the Lord as holy 
and always be prepared. There are no steps that we should take to prepare ourselves. Simply, honoring Christ in our hearts is the way that we are prepared to give a defense. So what it's saying is the way that we're prepared to give a defense is simply to have Christ at the center of our hearts. To take care that He is honored in our hearts and minds. He is elevated. That we are worshiping Him. That we're fearing Him. That we're seeking to honor Him. And this is where our defense will come from. And it really it fits with what Jesus said to His own disciples in Luke 21. Uh, verses 14 through 15. Jesus said, Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. So how are we supposed to be prepared to give a defense if Christ calls us not to even consider how to answer? The reality is, is that if we are so focused on memorizing arguments, or reviewing ways that we can debate others, but we neglect to tend to our own hearts, if we neglect to focus on honoring Christ the Lord as holy, having Him in His rightful place, then when the time comes, and the opportunity comes to speak, no matter the arguments that we have memorized, the apologetics that we've studied, will we fear man more than we fear God? And if we're so focused on preparing ourselves to make a defense that our hearts are consumed by this, instead of praising Christ and honoring Him for who He truly is, will people even ask us what the reason for our hope is? Or will this preparation develop such an arrogance in our hearts that people will be repelled from us because of our self-righteousness? But if Christ is truly honored in our hearts, if we fear Him above all other things, then when people see the ways that we respond to suffering, not out of fear or out of worry, but out of a simple trust in Him, they'll be amazed. And this is so unnatural, it's so beautiful, that they will ask, how can we have this kind of hope? When these opportunities come, if we're suffering for the right reasons, not because of our sin, but because of our passion for holiness, and with the right focus, with our trust, not in ourselves, but in Christ, elevating Him in our hearts, praising Him and worshiping Him, then we have the opportunity to respond. And Jesus promises both to give us the boldness to speak and the words to say. He is our strength, and when our hope is truly set on Him, it will overflow in a way that will really shock those in the world. So if you're here today and you'd say, I don't know if anyone's ever asked me the reason for the hope that's in me. There's two things I want us to consider. So if you're a believer in Christ, are you being faithful to walk in a way that honors Christ as Lord in every area of your life? We don't have to encounter suffering in every area. But if your faithfulness to Christ never results in opposition to the world, you need to consider if you're compromising in some areas. And the second thing to consider, if you'd say, I, I don't know if anybody's ever asked me the reason for the hope that I have. And honestly, I don't know if I have that hope myself. I've been coming to church for most of my life. I would have considered myself a Christian. I can talk the talk. But if I'm honest, when I'm faced with the decision to honor Christ the Lord as holy, to do what my conscience tells me to be right, to be zealous for what is good, or to just respond in the way that others around me respond, the way the world expects, or the way that's more comfortable to me, I usually just do what's easier and more comfortable. I don't expect to suffer for righteousness because my responses to things are often the same as the world. And if that's you, and I would plead with you to submit to Christ as Lord of your life, there is no hope apart from Him. And one day each of us will stand before God and we'll give an account for our lives. And if our hope is in anything other than Christ, if our hope is in our identity, in our reputation, in our good works, in our possessions, all of these things will fall short. So if that's you today, I would plead with you to repent, to acknowledge your sin and your self-righteousness before a holy God, to trust in Him alone, 
and honor Him alone in your hearts. So we need to consider, are we ready to give a defense? Are we suffering with the right response? Are we ready to explain the reason for the hope within us? We're called not just to passively endure persecution or suffering, but we are to actively consider how we can use this opportunity for the advance of the gospel and for God's glory. The world is asking for a reason for the hope that's in you because they're surprised by it. In 1 Peter 4, early in 1 Peter 4, um, in verse 3, it says, They are living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. A Christ-like hope is shocking to the world. When we do not join in the sin that the world enjoys, it's surprising to them. A trust in anything other than yourself is surprising to the world. And this is where those opportunities will come from, where they'll ask to explain the reason for the hope within us. And Peter's a great example of someone who is prepared to make a defense, someone whose love for Christ is so secure, so deep, that even the fiercest opposition couldn't shake him. He's speaking from personal experience. So I want us to look at a few of these together. Let's flip over to the book of Acts. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. These are probably familiar passages, but as we're considering being prepared to give a defense, this is the type of boldness that can be ours in Christ if we're truly honoring him as Lord. So here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is being poured out. Believers are speaking in tongues and rejoicing, and people are mocking them and ridiculing them. And Peter speaks up and he defends the faith. He's ready to give a reason for the hope that they have. So look there in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Look down there at verse 22. It continues. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And he continues, and then look down, we can see their response in verse 37. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Peter was ready to give a defense. And he was fearless, because he feared God more than he feared man. He exalted Christ as Lord in his heart. And this same Christ that he proclaims is yours. The same type of hope can be yours. This same boldness can be yours if you are ready to give a defense. And the way that you can do that is not through a PhD in theology or apologetics, but by honoring Christ 
in your heart above all other things. He can work through you to accomplish great things for his glory. Let's look at another example. This is so beautiful. But the next chapter in Acts chapter 3. So there's a lame beggar who is healed by the power of God. And in verse 11, the people are utterly astonished. And again, it's very similar to chapter 2. Let's look together. Uh, In verse 12, it says, And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by your own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom he delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. That's where our hope comes from. Our hope, our strength, our faith is in Christ Jesus, the author of life. The same Jesus who healed this man, who gave Peter this boldness. That is our Savior. That's who we look to. And then Peter's arrested um, in chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. He has another opportunity to explain the reason for the hope that that is in him. To explain the power of Christ that healed this man. This time to the religious leaders and the rulers who are gathering and examining him. Uh, Verse 8 there, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Our hope is in him. We can have this type of confidence because of the one in whom our confidence lies. So we need to take courage today. That this same Christ that is Peter's Lord is our Lord as well. He can give us the courage to to speak boldly in the face of persecution. When people ask us for the reason for the hope that is within us, we consider our response. God can give us the words to speak. And then as we consider our response, let's, let's flip back to 1 Peter. And look there in verse 15. So it says that we are called to respond with gentleness and respect. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Our response to the world should be gentle and respectful because ultimately our confidence and our hope is not in ourselves, but it's in Christ. We as believers should be an example of humility to the world, recognizing there's nothing in ourselves that should give us confidence or hope. Our only hope is in Christ's work on the cross and his righteousness that we've received through a trust in the gospel. I read this quote by Wayne Grudem that just summed it up very helpfully. It says, In hostile situations, the opportunity for witness to Christ often comes unexpectedly. The Christian who is not always ready to answer will miss it. Yet, such witness must be given with gentleness and respect, not attempting to overpower the unbeliever with the force of human personality or aggressiveness, 
but trusting the Holy Spirit himself to quietly persuade the listener. I think these are ways that we can see if our hope is truly in Christ. So if our reactions to unbelievers are prideful, if the arguments that we present point not to Christ but to ourselves, if we're proud or arrogant or sarcastic in our response, or if the opportunity comes for us to respond and we explain and explain the reason for the hope that's in you, and our response begins with I, I did this, or I believe this, or I have this faith. These are ways that we can see that our hope is in something other than Christ, in his finished work on the cross. It says, uh, reading from verse 15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So the next thing there, it says we need to keep a clear conscience. We need to have a good conscience. And we can see this by having really a practical understanding of how we should live in this world as believers. We need to make sure that we're zealous for good works. That's one way that we can have, keep a good conscience. We need to suffer well when we face persecution. That's how we can keep a good conscience. We need to make sure that we're not suffering because of our own sin or unrighteousness. So if you don't have a passion for good works, a zeal for good works, our conscience should not be clear. This is commanded of us. If we see our brother or sister in need, and we don't feel a desire to help them, if we're not doing all that we can to help, are we really zealous for good works? Or if we're not suffering well, if we're not honoring Christ above all, so if we're groaning or complaining when we face persecution or trials, we should confess and aim to have a clear conscience. Seasons of suffering in our lives are a unique opportunity for us to grow in our dependence on God, to give Him glory through suffering righteously, and display the beauty of Christ to a watching world. When we respond to suffering well, we practically demonstrate to the unbelieving world that Christ is more glorious and precious to us than any pain and difficulty we might endure. We have the opportunity to show where and whom we find our true treasure. By placing our ultimate hope in Christ rather than the temporary things in this world, God receives the glory. So brothers and sisters, um, members of Living Hope Church, let's take care to suffer well. Let's consider honestly if we're suffering for the right reasons. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Christ, knowing that He is the one that will sustain us, even in our weakness, even in the darkest of days. And let's always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in us, trusting in Him to give us the boldness to speak and the words to say. There's glory in righteous suffering. So all of us together, as a church family, let's press on together until Christ returns to take us to be with Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And God, when we consider the reality of suffering and persecution in this world, God, we don't want to be ignorant. We don't want to deny the difficulties that we're facing, that our brothers and sisters are facing. God, we want to be prepared to suffer well. Suffer in a way that gives you glory. Suffer in a way that points to the hope that we have in Christ. God, help each of us to honestly consider and evaluate our own hearts to see if there's areas of suffering that are a result of our sin. And if that is the case, I pray that you would quickly convict our hearts and draw us to repentance. 
But if the suffering that we're facing is because of a passion for goodness, because of a faithful desire to honor you and to follow you with our lives, God, then help us not to lose heart. Help us to take courage, knowing that our hope is not in our own strength, our own ability to push through difficult circumstances, but our hope is in Christ. He is the one that will sustain us. He is the one that will carry us through. God, I pray as a church family, as we look at brothers and sisters that are suffering, um, even now, I pray that we would look for opportunities to encourage one another. Often in the most difficult of trials, it can be challenging to encourage our own hearts. But we have an opportunity as brothers and sisters in Christ to point each other to what we know to be true, to remind each other that Christ is our hope in life and in death. Help us to cling to you. And God, we do pray that you would return quickly. We look forward to the day when you will return and right all the wrongs that we see in this world. When we will be with you in glory, worshiping you and praising you, free from suffering and pain and persecution and death. We look forward to the day when there will be no more sorrow, no more sadness. We will be with you for eternity. Because in Jesus' name, amen.